Welcome, everyone, to our Bible study. We are in the days of quarantine. I have some meaty subjects, some um, some very challenging uh, things I want to say tonight. So perhaps I'll begin with um, something on the lighter side. Um, all the places to get your hair cut have been closed down. In fact, where I go, there's a sign on the door and it says, uh, we will open when it's safe. So they're non-committal. And I haven't had my hair cut in a long, long time. And um, <laughs> uh, Tammy said that she would cut my hair, but I said, no way. The last time that the man of God allowed a woman to cut his hair, he lost his anointing. So um, I'm not taking any chances. I might end up looking like one of the Beatles, but but I'm going to uh, wait till the till my place opens up. <laughs> okay, so let's get into... Our Bible study. If we if we had to call this Bible study something, um, we would just I would name it the number uh, three or threes. Let's do threes. The first of our of our threes has to do with convenience, and I want to talk about the cost of convenience. There are three main costs connected with convenience. I want to. Um, remind you of a story. I've told it many times. It bears repeating. And if you've never heard it before, I want you to remember this. And if you have, you should repeat it and tell it to your children and your friends and those who have not heard it. It's very important. In the early 90s, I went to Russia and we ministered there. We left the city of Leningrad and drove some six hours away to a small community. There was a, a pastor there. His name was Brother Alexander. He was 90 years old. He had spent uh, a total of 30 years of his life in jail, in prison, for preaching and baptizing in the name of Jesus. He had been beaten so many times. When we were walking up a little hill, I put my hand on his back, and I didn't realize, but uh, until that moment, his his bones had not formed or grown back together correctly. It was like rubbing your hand on gravel. Brother Alexander told me that there was a time when the KGB was offering um, benefits to people who would turn in friends and family, uh, tell them where is the church meeting, and they would raid the place and people go to jail. Many people were hurt. So in response to that, finally, Brother Alexander told his congregation, we will now go home and pray. And we will ask the Lord where he wants us to meet, what time, and what place. Don't talk to anyone. Don't tell anyone um, where you're going. But the Lord will tell you. He'll direct you. And incredibly enough, at a certain location, at unique and different times, the congregation would meet together. It was a barn or an open field or somewhere in the woods. They would meet and they would worship and sing. And Brother Alexander would preach. Can you imagine can you imagine if um, if I told all the congregation or any pastor would tell uh, the congregation that we're no longer ha- going to have scheduled services and I'm not going to tell you where we're going to meet or what time? Um, people would be very discouraged. In fact, um, even now, if there's some form of lack of communication, um, then people get upset. Um, but can you imagine not knowing where you're going to meet or what time? And it would be incumbent upon you to pray, 
to find out where and when. I want to remind you of one more story Dr. Hughes told us in this very house. He told us about the church in China. It's a congregation of a couple hundred people. I believe he said there's 400 of them. He said that uh, this particular church is not affiliated with a denomination, but they are Pentecostal. And he's working with the pastor there. We, we took up a love offering for Brother Hughes to go to China and minister. He told us that the church meets in, in a building. They've got to go up a floor or two to meet. There's a place. But all the people cannot show up at one time. They do not want to be found out. So they stagger their coming. In fact, he said it takes them two hours for people to arrive um, and finally everyone to get into the same place. Two hours. And then it takes them a long time for them to be dismissed. Can you imagine if we said that, okay, you can come to the campus, you can come to the location, but you're going to stagger your coming and you might have to wait an hour or an hour and a half before all of us um, find our place. I would dare say that many people would not show up because we love convenience. We are enamored with convenience. We think of, of ourselves. And what's happening today is that the Lord is pushing us out of the nest. He is disrupting every convenience um, that we uh, that we have assumed, especially in the church, especially now. And I'm going to talk at the end about how we are exposed and what we need to do to, um, to help ourselves. Here are three things associated with convenience, the cost of conven- convenience. The first thing is that when there's so much convenience, people become spiritually impaired in the physical realm, if you don't use your muscles, you can have muscle atrophy. You're, um, you're laid up or you're in a hospital bed for so long. Um, your muscles aren't used. And so muscles become undeveloped or underdeveloped. And in a very spiritual sense, um, we're finding out that when convenience is removed, then there is a spiritual impairment. It, it's manifested. It's revealed. Some people don't pray until they come to church. Some people never read their Bible until the Bible is read from the pulpit. They don't study the scripture and they're waiting for someone, which they deem a professional, to lead them and tell them how to have a walk with God. This is a... um, This is a strike against the American church because things are so easy for us. We've relied upon uh, what is common and then we we have an assumption that it'll always be there. Well, it hasn't. The second thing that happens in convenience is that definitions, terms are redefined. The redefining of terms um, is in full display. What the Bible says about sacrifice is far different than what we consider sacrifice. Um, people think it's a sacrifice to give their tithe and, and also an offering. But that's, ris- re- that's uh, actually um, your reasonable service. It's just obedience. That's not a sacrifice. Terms like conse- uh, consecration and commitment or servanthood or submission, all of those terms are suspect. 
They've lost their meaning. They've been diluted. They've been redefined. And even the operation of the church has been redefined. And that has come from convenience. We're so enamored with the, the feel of everything that we live on emotion. So there is a cost associated, and, and that is the redefining of our terms. And finally, of the three, of all these threes, the, the last of, of the cost has to do with perception and its spiritual perception. Uh, that has been diminished. So things like tribulation and trials, we, we don't see tribulation and trials. Now, there will come a time of tribulation. There will be tribulations. And it may not even be the end time tribulation. It might mean just a change of our uh, American values and American lifestyle. Uh, there are many places in the world that are going through great stress, the outlawing of Christianity. Um, there will be a end time tribulation period. But because we don't perceive things well, we deem things to be tribulation when there are not tribulation or trials. And so there's a spiritual depletion. There's a deception, uh, 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 depletion rather, in perception. And so we don't perceive things because of convenience. And this is a very important time for us uh, to reconsider the conveniences that we have assumed they are crippling us and we must make a change. Now, in association with that, I want to talk about three places of consequence. Um, the first place is Jerusalem, if you're taking notes. Number one would be Jerusalem. Number two uh, would be Samaria. And the third, let's just call that the uttermost part of the earth or the world. Um, Jerusalem is the place where it all began, and eventually it will end there too. But it began in Jerusalem. Uh, God said he would put his name in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel, and David found a united kingdom there. Um, Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, and uh, ultimately and finally, the Holy Ghost was poured out in Jerusalem. This was the promise, the place of the promise of the Father. It's a very important thing. Joel chapter 2 was fulfilled in Jerusalem. And the Jews took that for themselves. They loved it. This was all about the Jews. So number one is Jerusalem. We can call it the beginning. Number two is Samaria. Jesus had a need, the Bible says in John 4, to go or pass through Samaria. And Samaria was a place where there were, were people that were part Jewish and part Gentile. They were half-breeds. They were Samaritans. They didn't fit in with the Gentiles, and the Jews didn't want anything to do with them. They wanted to worship, but they couldn't go to Jerusalem to worship. They had their own place or mountain to worship. And Jesus went there. He planted seeds in John chapter 4 that Philip would take advantage of in Acts chapter 8. So Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8, we see the beginning and then we see the bridge. The Lord ultimately wanted the whole world to receive this. He didn't just leap from the Jews uh, to the Gentiles, but the bridge was the Samaritans. And finally, it's the uttermost part. It's Acts chapter 10. When the Gentiles, the door of the Gentiles was, op was opened up. And 
we see the beginning, we see the bridge, and now we're going to see the body in its full form. So number one is the beginning. Number two is the bridge. Number three is the body. And those three places of consequence matter to us today because we may be grafted in, but we are Gentiles nonetheless. We are grafted in to the vine. We are not the original branch. Um, we are the grafted in branch. So because of those three things, we can then discover what I'll term the scattering and the gathering. Jerusalem was a wonderful place. Everybody wanted to be in Jerusalem. The church did not want to get beyond the borders of Jerusalem. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. It wasn't until there was conflict, there was tribulation, there was trial. It was like God put his foot down on an anthill and they scattered. Well, we can see the scattering and the gathering both in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and now today. There's a scattering and a gathering. For there to be a gathering, there has to be a scattering. And not just that those words rhyme, but I like them. At first, it was Babel. Um, the descendants of Noah convened at a place and they founded a city called Babel. The Bible says in Genesis 11, they were all... Um, together with one language they all spoke the same language at Babel and they were building this great city and God uh, was was not pleased with them he scattered them he confused them by languages why did God do that it's because God's will was not being accomplished he wanted the people to um, multiply he wanted them to scatter throughout all the earth he wanted them to replenish the earth, but they didn't want that. They didn't want to be replenished. They didn't want to replenish the earth. They wanted to be together. And then the second time that happened was at Jerusalem, as I spoke about. And trials came, and it scattered them. They were forced out. In Acts chapter 8, um, the Bible says Saul was consenting unto his death, Acts 8.1. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was where? At Jerusalem. And here's the Bible. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The majority of the church were, were scattered. They were, they were, they were removed from the safety net of Jerusalem. So first it was Babel, and then it was Jerusalem. And why? Because the gospel did not have a chance to take root in all the world. And Acts chapter 1 verse 8, um, would not be fulfilled. Acts 1 and 8 would not be fulfilled. You should receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You should be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That would not be fulfilled until there was a scattering. And then finally, in our days, there has been a great scattering. People have, have gone all over the world. This has been on the front pages of all kinds of newspapers for the last many years. Migration. There have been people that have been traversing over all kinds of borders. Europe has opened up. The gospel is being brought from Africa, from places that received the gospel, into stoic countries and places where the countrymen would not receive the gospel, like France, like France and Germany and places that have, um, that have these austere 
and, and uh, lives of luxury. And this is happening all over the world right now. There, is, there has been a scattering. So you might have a political uh, leaning about sovereignty and borders. I understand all of that. But God has been using this population scattering to spread the gospel. It is in the plan of God that people all over the world hear the name of Jesus, know about the cross of Calvary, and know about the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's happening all over the world now because of this open borders and migration. So if you can, if you want to fight that, you can. But the Lord is doing this in the last days so that everyone will hear before he comes back. Scattering and a gathering. And when the scattering is done, there will be a gathering just like there has been in Israel where the Jews now have come back in the last many years since 1948. The Jews have been repopulating the country of Israel like never before. More than half of the people that call themselves Jewish now live in Israel and more and more are returning back to, to that land. They've been scattered and now they've been gathered. Now, all this comes with resistance. So, first you have convenience. Then you have these people, the, I'm sorry, these places of consequence. Um, and the world is a place of consequence. But we are seeing resistance to that. And there's always been resistance. So, let's talk about the three areas or levels of resistance. The first area of resistance came from the Jews themselves. They they felt like the gospel was all about them. They loved their tradition. In fact, their tradition was a wall, a barrier that, that removed anyone else from coming in to their, to their gospel. Even Jesus rebuked the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 verse 13. He said, and I quote, making the word of God, this word, of none effect, through your tradition and many such things and many such like things do ye. You've made this word of none effect because of your tradition. And of course, I can tell you tradition and customs are two different thing, things. And a tradition, when a tradition leans itself, um, or applies to a salvation or a necessity, a custom is different than that. So we can talk about that later, but let's, discuss this resistance that it's only for the Jews. This is only for a select group of people, this gospel. Uh, I would submit to you that denominations have these same walls of resistance, but we're going we're gonna to discover tonight that God is going to break down every wall and people that you didn't think could receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, they're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they're going to speak in other tongues and they're not going to know anything about our church or the Pentecostal denomination. The other resistance is the backslider. It's, it's those Samaritans. It's the people who mingled. They left Jerusalem and they joined with the Gentile and there was resistance to that in fact Jesus sent his disciples away when he went to sit down at Jacob's well to talk to the woman of Samaria in fact when they came back in verse 27 of John 4 the Bible says just then his disciples returned and were surprised from the NIV to find him talking with the woman they didn't want to ask him 
What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? But that was in their heart. What are you doing here, Lord? Why are you talking to this Samaritan? She said it right. The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. She said that to Jesus. Why are you talking? I'm a woman plus you're a Jew and I'm, I'm a Samaritan. So this was a dividing line. There was a resistance to anyone who wasn't in the group. All, us four, no more. This is, we've got it. No one else can have it. This is not true. There is a resistance. Um, and the Lord is going to break down all those walls. Incredible things. Incredible. Uh, th- th- these things are going to happen. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, entire churches can receive the gospel, baptized in the name of Jesus, repenting of their sins, being filled, born again of the water and spirit. And we may never know who they are. But we don't have to know who they are. This is not about filling up a building. It's about spreading the gospel. And of course, there's resistance because the grafted branch didn't want the Samaritans involved and they certainly didn't want the Jew, the, the Gentiles involved. And in fact, um, Cornelius is gonna, is gonna be the third, represent the third level of resistance because he was, uh, he was a Gentile and the Lord sent Peter a vision and in that vision, the Lord said, don't call the things that I've made uh, good, common or unclean. Uh, and um, Peter went reluctantly. He brought some people with him as moral support. And he preached the gospel. And the Holy Ghost was poured out in Acts chapter 10. So the third level of resistance was to this now um, alien nation, the Gentiles. They were brought in. The Jews in Acts chapter 2. The Samaritans in Acts chapter 8 and the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And now the body will convene. The beginning, the bridge, and the body. Um, but this does not come without some resistance. Although, um, although in, in the Old Testament, they should have known that God has the ability to graft in people. In fact, Ruth was a Moabite. She was not a Hebrew. She was a Moabite. And she became the great-grandmother of King David. She married Boaz, and she became the great-grandmother of King David. She is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. So it is not unlike the Lord to graft in a Gentile into the lineage of Jesus Christ. This was set up uh, already in the Old Testament scriptures, but the Jews... Uh, rejected that. They rejected it because they started to look inward. They started to look at that their religion and their faith became a tradition. And they had faith in their tradition. Now I'm speaking to the church tonight. I'm speaking to all of us tonight. But the Lord's going to do something in the last days. It's going to be a very different time. And I believe we're there at the day. We're there at the time. So I'm looking at Matthew chapter 20. This was um, a parable of the Lord that has um, great uh, significance to our particular time. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 20, verse 6. And I'm ending this here. Eleventh hour, the master went out. He found others standing idle. He said, are you going to stand there? Why don't you come? 
Verse 27, no one hired us, no one asked us. Now, the first group in that parable started at 9 o'clock, and then each hour there were additions to the field, to work in the field. But at the final hour, the 11th hour, there were people that came in and they worked in the field. This is what the master said, verse 7. Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that, that shall ye receive. So you're going to get it. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto the steward, call the laborers. What's that mean? That means when it was over, when it was done. He said, give them their reward. Of course, the first hour, they were very upset because... The last hour, which was the 11th hour, received the same amount as the first hour. Verse 10. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. But they still received the same reward. And when they received it, they what did they do? They murmured against the good man of the house. Watch this now. At the end of time, people are going to come in. They're going to receive the gospel. But they're not going to know everything that all of us have been working on all of our lives. Some of you watching this, you are 9 o'clock apostolics. You are 9 a.m. Pentecostals. You are 9 a.m. Christians. You are 9 a.m. believers. You were born in the church. You know every song. You don't even have to look up at the screen. You know all the old songs, the middle, the, the, the 2000 songs, the brand new songs. You've heard all the sermons. You know all the jokes. You know all the stuff. You've heard all the sermons several times in your lifetime. You're 9 a.m. believers. Some of you are middle of the way. But I would just say, if you've been born again in the last few years, you, you could very well be in that 9, 10 p.m. But there's going to come an 11th hour revival somewhere in the world. I hope it happens here. And people are going to come in. They're going to receive and believe the gospel. They're going to believe on the Lord. They're going to confess that he is Lord of all. They're going to repent of their sins. They're going to fall on their face. They're going to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sins, as the Bible says. They're going to call on the name of the Lord. They're going to lift up their voice. He's going to baptize them in the spirit with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And they're not going to know much more than that. That The problem is, there is a resistance from the people that started out at the beginning. Because we have requirements of them. We have traditions. We can make the word of God of none effect. Just like the Jews, the modern day believer, because, watch this, because of convenience, because of Jerusalem. And I equate that with the local campus the sanctuary, the church. Because of all those things, we have a tough time accepting and receiving people coming into the church. I'm going to tell you, they're going to come to some place to receive the word of God. I hope that they can come into your life and you can lead them. Now, the last part of this small Bible study brings me grief because what's happened to us is that we've been exposed we've built so much around the place where i'm sitting now i have great nostalgia i am so nostalgic i mean an old song will come on and and i'll think of uh 
I'll think of my youth when, when my hair was shorter. Maybe it was longer, uh, but it was black and I could run like the wind and, and, um, and I could eat whatever I wanted to and, and, um, it was, it was youth. And, um, yeah, I'm very nostalgic. Um, I can smell a, 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 a fragrance and it brings me back to some, some day, some point in time. But something has happened to us now. It's exposed us. And there's three things in this lesson that, that we're going to struggle with. And it, and we start out with convenience and we're starting out with where God, what God's doing. He's putting his foot down. He's scattering the church. I will tell you tonight, as much as it grieves me, some people are not going to make it through the coronavirus and they're not going to be infected at all. They're not going to make it because they have a relationship with the campus and not with the church. So the first thing that's been exposed is relationships with Jesus Christ. There are people who have a relationship with a pastor, with a denomination, but they don't know very much about the Lord. They don't talk to him. He doesn't talk to them. They don't read about him. They don't pray to him. They, they can praise him, but only for the things that's good in their life. And as I preached several weeks ago, um, those days of shallow Christianity, they're over. They're over. And the longer this quarantine has gone, the more disruptive it has been in the relationship between the so-called believer, or maybe they are, and Jesus Christ. Think about this. I have preached seven Sundays. It, it took seven Sundays for the Lord to finally speak to us about repentance. Last Sunday, I preached about repentance. It was God's word to me and to you about repenting. We started off uh, contrasting a river and a well. And I told the congregation, a river is not a well. A well is not a river. We've been in the river. We've felt the rain, but now it's time for the well. Oh, that sounded so good. But seven weeks later, it took us that long because not everyone's digging down and people are drying up and there's little angst. And I know we all want to be together. That's fellowship. I get the fellowship. There's nothing I want to get together. Um, uh, I want to see everybody. I'm preaching, I know I'm preaching the word, I'm preaching to a, a bunch of empty seats in a dark sanctuary. Even now, I'm looking into a camera. I, I would love to see people. It'd be wonderful. I'd love to see my barber. That'd be nice too. Um, but the relationship to Jesus Christ and with Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with each other, yes, but do we have a relationship with the Lord? Do we have a relationship with the word of God? What about this book? And what's happened to us is that we've been exposed and all of a sudden we don't know what we're going to do. And we start praying. We get in our living room. So that's a weird place to worship. It's odd. I mean, opening up our Bible, it's odd. So I would say to you, recovery, the conveniences have been removed. Now let's talk about our walk with God. And the second Things that's been exposed is our doctrine. Let me just read this how I typed it. No one can defend what they do not know. 
our doctrine. Number two, no one can defend what they do not defend. That's a little odd, right? No, it means when you never have an opportunity to defend your doctrine, you don't know how to defend it. Until you talk to someone who disagrees with you, and I'm not talking about being argumentative, but saying, well, let's look at the Bible. Let's look what the Bible says. Do you, do you mean you really have to repent? Yes. Do you mean you really need to be baptized? Yes. Does baptism save us? Does the Bible say that baptism saves us? Is that in the Bible? It is in the Bible. Wow. Where is that at? Well, let's look at it. If you never have an opportunity, that means we've never talked to anybody and had a conversation and we've been exposed. Why would we do that? Because we think that the actions of the church should reside inside of a building. It's not true. That's only part of of the operation of the early church. Acts 2 and Acts 5, they were in homes and in the temple. And Acts 5, they were in homes. This is where the church grew in homes. They convened in the temple for worship, but they didn't even control the temple. If you look in Acts chapter 2, they did not control the temple. They got to worship in the temple and go through the customary forms of their of reading the scripture in the temple. But it's probably true that most of the worship happened in their homes. Didn't happen in the temple. Now we do know that that the lame man was walking and leaping and dancing in the temple in Acts chapter 3. But outside of that, they read the scripture in the temple. Their big prayer meetings were in homes. So the doctrine. And finally, so no one can defend what they do not know. No one can defend what they never defended or what they do not defend. They don't have an opportunity. And finally, no one can defend what they do not love. You know what you love. NASCAR people can name all their NASCAR. They love NASCAR. Fishermen can name all that. Hunters can name all that. Guys who like motors and women who like certain things. I don't know what everybody likes. But you can talk about what you love. If you don't know the scripture, you can say you love it. But if you don't know it, you don't love it. No one can defend what they do not love. We've been exposed. Relationships and doctrine. And finally, purpose. The purpose of the body, the purpose of the church, the purpose to disciple people, to teach, to send, to labor in the field, to preach the gospel. The purpose of the church is far greater than what a service time will permit. That is a small, very small function of what the church is all about. We've been exposed. So we're going to recover. And God has given us a great opportunity to recover. And I hope that this Sunday you'll tune in to this Sunday sermon. The Lord is going to speak to us. He has been speaking to us. I would submit you go back, at least rehearse all seven sermons that the Lord has given to all of the church, to New Life Fellowship. Go back through those sermons. Find out the big themes of those messages from the well to repentance because all of those words, oh, they mean something. They're very important to us. He's out of the tomb. What happens if we get out of the tomb? Think of all those themes that God has given us. They are words for our lives. And don't get discouraged, but know that whatever you assumed It now has been turned. It's been changed. And it's been by the divine will of God. 
So I'm going to pray for you before we end this word because I feel that it might be a lot of meat for people. I feel like some of you are struggling and you don't want to be exposed. Some people that are watching this, you've not been committed. You're not committed. You want to call yourself a believer and a Christian, but there's no servanthood in your life. You don't serve anyone. You're not spreading the gospel. There's no submission. You redefine those words and convenience has done that to you. So I'm going to pray that God would help us. We're going to recover. And I'm not talking about economic recovery. I'm not talking about health recovery. I'm talking about a spiritual recovery so that we know our purpose so that we can recover the purpose of the body. I hope you will pray with me right now. Father, I pray. Lord, do your perfect work in our lives, I pray. Don't let us waste this time. But Lord, you've been speaking to us, so I pray, speak to all the people that are hearing me teach tonight. Speak to their lives, their families. Let there be a revival of individual relationship, of love for the doctrine, and a discovery of the purpose for each person. I pray tonight against a return to the conveniences, those conveniences that have crippled us, that have impaired us, that have caused a redefining of definitions and that have caused us to lose perception of what the end time really is. I pray tonight, help the church become the great church that you intended it to be. Help New Life Fellowship become a powerful body of believers, not just a place on the corner of the crossroads of America, but a place in every home, in every life, where we can be a witness of the great gospel. Help us not to resist this moment, Lord. We're going to take it in stride. We believe your will is being accomplished in our lives. I pray that the gospel would be loved, would be learned, and would be spread. And I pray every prayer in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.